Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome Sky Kilji to Focus on My Podcast. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So Sky is an entrepreneur and tell me, Sky, what does entrepreneur mean to you? I think freedom in a word. Um, I always look to entrepreneurs as the people that create the future and they create opportunity, they create jobs and they create freedom. And that's something I just always aspired to. Absolutely. So tell me how you live right now. How I live right now, I'm in Romania in the mountains. I'm looking out the left-hand window. There's a snow-capped glacier that I, I look at as I work from my laptop. Um, so I work remotely year-round. Um, since 2017, I quit my nine-to-five. And in 2018, I got on the road and I never looked back. I work year-round uh, from my laptop. and I'm probably going to live this way for a long, long time, maybe mix in some settling for periods. It's definitely slowed down a bit. It's not a hundred countries in a month type thing. Um, but I'm a, I'm a traveler at heart and, you know, freedom is something so important to me and I get to live that in this life. And how do you afford to live that life? It's easier than you'd think. Um, I think Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week, uh, is, is someone I credit as making me believe. I thought you had to be just a complete baller, you know, like one of these banking guys have a ton of money. What I realized is when you live in a country that's perhaps less developed than the Western world, as long as you're earning in a Western currency, like dollars, euros, if you pay local, there's a arbitrage, there's a nice gap and you can actually live for less money and actually move forward in, in accumulating wealth. And I'm nowhere near that, but I'm far closer than I would be if I still lived in London. So what is your occupation? What is it you're doing to earn that living? So my day-to-day job, as I call it, is I run a marketing agency, digital marketing. Um, so I'm very passionate about helping business owners grow their businesses. It's something near and dear to my heart. So how do you run that business remotely? What do you do? So I, um, I do a lot of stuff on Upwork. Upwork's a freelancing platform. So I find a lot of my clients there. Um, they typically come for something small. We get into a conversation and then they realize this is a person who can help me move towards my vision for the business. Sometimes they're confused and unclear of how to get to that thing in their mind that's probably vague and I help them organize that. Um, so those, those engagements tend to go on longer and become bigger and I then need a team to help me deliver on them. I only have 24 hours in a day. So I use the same platform, Upwork, and I find good people all around the world. And you know, I'm really big on entrepreneurship changing lives. And in some small level, when I work with somebody from another country where there perhaps aren't jobs, and I give them that work, I get to live out that, that, uh, that thing that's important to me. That's incredible. And has it always been this way? Have you always been able to create your own freedom? No. Uh, <laughs> I was in corporate for 12 years. I was a, a corporate wage slave. I worked in the insurance industry in, uh, in London, in the UK. And um, I thought it was a path to freedom. And before long, I soon realized 80 hours a week is not freedom. Um, you're trapped because when your boss rings, you have to answer it. 
when your client needs a meeting, you have to go. And even though I worked at home five days a week, I had a really good lifestyle. Something inside me felt trapped. That's a, a powerful word to be using. Well, why were you, um, how did you get into that, that industry? It's, life is it's very strange in some ways. I had been to a job interview. I think I was fresh out of college, so probably about 18. And I went to a job interview and it was terrible. Um, working in that company was like the worst behaved kid in my class at school. And he was behaving badly in the office environment, like shouting across the room. And I just thought if they employed that guy, I can't work here. And it mm. was, uh, it was an experience where I was just lost. And I walked in the street. Um, I grew up in a place called Edgware in North London, Northwest London. And I saw a recruitment agency and I thought, you know what, just go in there. And it was a temporary job in insurance on a six month contract. I was answering calls in a call center for minimum wage. And somehow, somewhere <laughs> it developed into a 12 year career. Wow. Okay. So somewhere in that role, moving from the call center, you went on to doing something a bit more interesting or impactful. Yeah. Um, so what happened was it was a six month contract, six months in, I got offered the team leader job. So a team of seven, I think I'm 19 at this point, six months after that, that expanded to a team of 14. Um, then the company relocated and I volunteered to migrate my entire team, replace myself, recruit over 200 staff, always trying to be that team player. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that for six years. I then moved to a different Fortune 500 and um, I started doing more account management type stuff. So I was working with clients. My clients were people like Dell, Ford, General Motors, people like that. Um, probably because on, on some level I was professional. I think that's what my colleagues would say. I was, I was good with people. Um, I could present the company in the right light, but I didn't really feel I was able to use, you know, like those skills and I, I couldn't really express myself or the value I thought I could bring. And what were you doing in sort of out of work at that time? Were you, so in terms of personal development or anything like that? Yeah, I think uh, personal development, I got into when I was really young, eBay was a thing back then and I was selling VHSs for 99 pence. <laughs> and just making nearly no money. But I then had to learn, like, how do you make my eBay page look better? So, okay, how do I do bold? How do I, you know, put an image there? And then I realized, okay, I'm using the internet to make money. Now I had a website and then it became something else and something else. So there was this understanding of the internet is powerful and I can use it to get paid and I don't have to leave my house. So I found personal development, you know, Tony Robbins yelling, uh, through through the internet at me <laughs> and I kind of got into that stuff and started understanding actually who am I and and what am I good at in the world up until that point I think I let the world dictate where where it wanted me if that makes sense so give us a time stamp what sort of year was that when you started looking at personal development um I think 2009 I started my my personal website it was a fitness website I eventually went on to sell um, and they were very big on the work from home thing. It wasn't really a thing like it is now. And, you know, just through that, you hear interviews and podcasts and you realize there's people making a lot of money and they're not working in some corporate job like I was. And that just opened the door and that longing and yearning. It was like some part of my soul knew this is where you need to be. And I didn't know how I was going to make it happen or what, but I just knew I need to really dwell in that space for a while.
So that was sort of supporting your way of living right now. It was all starting to happen. It was all gathering some kind of momentum. What was the point where you decided to up sticks? Uh, from the corporate in, in, in my yeah. nine to five, that was Halloween 2017. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting story of, of how that happened. Um, typical thing that happens with corporates is they give you a little bit more work and a little bit more work and it's death by a thousand cuts. And you want to be a good employee. So you say, sure, you know, I'll do that. I'll do that. And they'll reward me down the line. I always believe give value first and you'll get value back because that's what personal development taught me. And what I realized is corporate doesn't really work like that. They'll just keep taking. Um, so I took on more accounts. I had the company's uh, second and third biggest accounts. And I realized, look, I'm still not getting ahead here. Um, the company hasn't won a new contract in six or seven years. And I went to my director and said, look, let me do this outside of my normal hours. I'll keep doing my day job. Let me craft a proposal, go and pitch and win some contracts. And, you know, fast forward, we, we generated $100 million in three months of new contracts with, you know, multinational corporations. And I was just on a high. I've created so much value. If they even give me point something of something of a percent, I'm going to be fine. and I'm going to feel valued finally. And uh, I got 700 pounds before tax, 40% tax rate. And I quit the very next morning. I'm not surprised. And was it the values that were misaligned? I think um, on some level, it was the environment more than the values. Um, because in, in doing that project, I looked at how can I create more value and in a way that I express my values, which is be more entrepreneurial, be more innovative, um, grow a business, even if it's a corporate that hasn't grown for a while. And I really thought when my values and the corporation's values meet, that will be good for both of us. And, you know, it turned out that I wasn't valued. Um, and in fact, the very next morning after I resigned, the CEO called me in, what can we do to make you stay? And my response was, you've already told me how much you value me. So there's nothing we can do here. And in typical poor decision-making fashion, they paid me a fair amount of money to stay for a while to do a handover, which had they just given me that in the first place, probably would have kept me in that role for a little bit longer. Yeah, for sure. And why do you think corporates operate on that by not looking after their staff? I don't think it's um, a conscious intention not to look after their staff. I mean, all of their vision boards and company missions say we're about our people. Um, in practice, I don't think that happens. I think they focus on the shareholder primarily. And I understand that because you have to deliver value to the shareholder. But it's very short term. You're looking at a quarter. And value to the shareholder actually comes from when you look after your customers and the people that serve your customers. So I think they're just very short-term focused and, and that has limitations. Mm. So you move from being an entrepreneur to an entrepreneur. You sort of yes. made that decision and you remember that date clearly. I do. Yeah, I remember I'd been kind of walking around the office for a few weeks and people ask, you know, what are you going to do? And I say, I'm going to travel the world and work remote. And most of them were really um, encouraged by that. Yeah, I did think maybe there'll be some people who would like resent me for that, but it was kind of like there was some part of them that wished they could do the same, but they had marriage and kids and mortgages and they couldn't. Um, and they got to live through my story a little bit. And we had some great conversations. And I remember going down in the lift and taking the lanyard off for the last time and handing it in. And I walked out with such a smile. 
I'd even prepared um, my friend Steph from Project Glow. Uh, she had given me a playlist to play as I walked out and I switched these headphones on. I think it was Bruno Mars, Uptown Funk. And I just like strutted down that street in Bristol. And I had a three hour train ride home. And I'm sure anybody who was sitting opposite me thought I was insane because I had this bigger smile on my face. And I was just like, I felt alive. The cage door was open. It was, it was incredible. I, it still lights me up now to think about that moment. So that's the pivotal moment where you, you handed in your, your notice. So why do you do what you do now? It's an interesting question. Um, I think my dad was an entrepreneur. He always had been. So he came from a traditional background. His dad was a captain in the Navy. His mum was in a banking family, Italian banking family. Um, and he went the complete opposite way. He said, I am going to get a bus and live in that and be a bit of a free child, be a hippie in the 70s. Um, so he was always, he had that freedom part that is in me, even if I rejected it for a while and tried to be a straight goer, so to speak. But as an entrepreneur, I saw him struggle in his business. I saw him work with the door closed for just insane hours and then go and be a taxi driver at night to make it happen. And I thought, why is this so difficult? Is there a formula that can make any business grow? Because if it could, I could help my dad and I could help people like him, good, hardworking families because I know that there's more out there. I see people on the internet who are doing that. And I believe business is moving in that direction. And it just became an obsession for me. How do I figure out how to grow any business in any industry? And that's still alive in me today, for sure. And was there a particular inspiration that you, you had to help you on that journey? In terms of people? Um, or, 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 yeah, I mean, in people or potentially um, a book that inspired you? or a... I think there were a lot of books and a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a learner, so I just take in information at a rapid rate. I read a lot. I, I listen to podcasts constantly while I'm working. So there was a lot that didn't resonate, and there were a few things that did. Um, I think Jay Abraham, for me, is a guy who he did a billion dollars in sales before the internet uh, through marketing. Uh, people like Dan Kennedy, these are guys that marketers would know well. And they were just average guys creating wealth for themselves and other people. And it wasn't in a way like a get rich quick scheme or, you know, like something just completely, you knew it was fake. It was real because you had to work hard at it. So I actually looked the other day, like, you know, who are my heroes uh, in those moments? And they were all people that worked really hard, but they were successful. And there's a ton of them. I couldn't tell you any one back then that was, you know, the, the decisive person in my life. But do you look to emulate what they did? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of different things that they do. They're all masters of the craft. One of my favorite books is, is Mastery, uh, Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power, uh, author. And, you know, in everything, I'm willing to do that hard work. I'm willing to do what it takes and master a craft because I'm doing something that's so important to me. And that does connect to the why, I think. If it wasn't mm. that important, I just wouldn't go through that struggle. And I think it's interesting that you, you when you were working in corporate, you, you were driven there by some kind of insecurity of from your dad's business. You were looking to to have a better solution and you were also sort of doing all your stuff on the side which was really interesting um, in terms of building up your personal development and you were also doing some other education as well you were learning in property 
Yeah. Uh, so actually one of those books that made a difference was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, mm-hmm. Robert Kiyosaki. It's a great book. And also the Cash Flow Quadrant. Those two of his are just fantastic. That got me into thinking, why am I selling my time so I can move from an employee to self-employed, but I want to be on the right side of the quadrant, a business owner or an investor. That's where there's scalability. That's where that life that all of these gurus have been showing me actually exists. Um, so I did a bit of work there. I got into the property side of things from a learning perspective. Like many people, I went to one of those initial talks and then somehow found myself you know, paying a good amount of money for the courses, doing mentorship. And the interesting thing is I did zero with that knowledge. I paid a lot of money. Um, it was a debt that I had to pay off and I did nothing with it. And for a long time, I beat myself up about that. I'm like, you spent all this money. You're so stupid. You don't have money to invest now in the properties or the refurbs. Like, why have you done this? And I kind of, I kept that secret for a while to myself and to other people. And what I realized was my why was in building the business. And then when you have that excess cash, invest that in property, sure. But doing property all day long, it just didn't light me up. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So it was no surprise that I didn't really do anything with it once I acquired the knowledge. And do you still give yourself a hard time now? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm learning. I'm 35 now. Uh, so I see the need to be a bit more gentle with myself. And I think as a man, that's something I had to learn. We're very driven, um, quite driven as a person. It was all about success. And it wasn't for acquiring money. It was probably because on some level I felt you know, I wasn't good enough. And, you know, other people would tell me, you know, you're really talented at this. You're great, but I hadn't achieved anything. So I was so driven to get those trinkets, whatever it was. And I just, I didn't really want them at a a deep level. I wanted to create impact. I wanted to help people. So I was probably confused. And I think I am still hard because I want to achieve things in the world. I'm always going to be that person but I'm now also okay with saying, you know what? You did the best you could. You can't control that. Now's the time to rest. I, I definitely appreciate that that's part of the cycle of, of growth. And what would you say your sort of your key drivers are right now? I would say legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly not at a point where financially I can just stop working. Um, I'm, I'm kind of working to transition out to that and probably a good amount of time away from it. I always just think every day, you know, if I died today, would I be happy with what I did today or what my life means? What would be said in my eulogy? Am I dying with the music still inside me? And I still feel there's so much to give. I'll probably always feel like that because the goalpost keeps moving and I expect a lot of myself. Um, But yeah, I definitely think there's some truth in that for sure. It's interesting you're saying about your eulogy. Have you ever thought about writing your own one? I've written my own one many times and it was a scary, it was a scary process because I realized there was a huge gap from what I would like said versus what would probably be said if I was Mm. honest with myself. I I also have written mine and I update it regularly. It's a weird thing to do, but it's actually really powerful because it keeps you on course. I think it's something that, you know, I, I, I look and I respect what I've done and what I want to do in equal terms. I think when you're at peace with yourself and what you're doing, it's because you are 
following your why you are focused on what you're doing and it, it, I don't give myself a hard time I push myself a lot but yeah I think it's it's an incredible thing to do so I mean freedom for you is super important it's it's yes. your highest value it is it is yeah yeah and and your whole passion project that you're doing alongside your working explain a bit more about that so it's called Free the Wage Slave. Um, the, the website's freethewageslave.com. I have a podcast and uh, it's mostly a blog and a podcast at this point. So way back in 2012, my first mentor pulled that out of me that that was my passion. And he even gave me the domain name back then and I did nothing with it. I didn't feel that I was big enough for it. So it was really about the wage slave being people like me who were in corporate and nine to five or people that had to sell their time for money or do something that they didn't want to do because they didn't know there was another choice. Um, and I'm really passionate about working um, with people in disadvantaged communities. I think entrepreneurship to me is the ultimate leveler. It transcends circumstances, race, social class, cultural boundaries. You don't have to do work that doesn't light you up. We all have a, a gift inside of us and we can share that. And I think my screensaver uh, has a Picasso quote, which is something along the lines of um, the purpose of life is to find your gift uh, or and the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And, you know, I really believe everybody has something they can give that would light them up and make the world a better place. So Free the Wage Slave is really about educating people of how they can do that, giving them the belief and the tools. And I just didn't feel that I was ready for that mission for so long that was 2012 we're in 2020 now and i've only just really started this year rolling that out and that's interesting and you you weren't ready to take on that and you you saying you ignored it and that it was right there and all this time you've been trying to find your why it was there why do you think that you you weren't ready and what what made you uh, feel that you were then able what enabled you to to start it yeah um I wrote a blog post about this last week called Finding a Purpose, What the Gurus Don't Want You to Know. And why I wrote that is for me, all of that personal development taught me you have to find your why first and then you walk the path. And I said, well, I don't know what my why is. I can't find it. Well, the thing is, I still don't know what my why is to some level because it evolves and it adapts and it's fluid because to me, life is, is fluid also. So I didn't start for a long time. Um, I think also on some level, I thought, well, who am I to tell anybody what to do? I haven't done anything. And, you know, a big part of that, it took me to a 15-month stint in Dubai where I worked under um, a genius, really, who, who has an institute, who teaches business growth. And he forced me to lead workshops without any preparation. He forced me to do all kinds of things that made me uncomfortable. And I went into that environment to to get some experience so I could feel that it was okay to teach that stuff. And, um, I think really at some point I just got to the point where I said, you know what? It's now I'm not going to wait until I'm 50 or 60 to do my legacy project. I don't care if I don't know what my why is, how do I make an impact today right now with what I have? And what made you, or what led to that decision that you didn't need to have all the answers? It's an interesting question. What led to that decision? I think it, it definitely comes back to that um, 
that view of I'm getting older now. So I just turned 35. Something happens at 30. I don't know what it is. And we start saying, okay, I need to get serious now about my life. I've done all the debauchery in the twenties and the exploring. Well, now I need to have an impact because I want to know that if I did die today, I've lived the life that I was meant to because I could die happy if I was expressing my gift. And that doesn't mean any more wealth. It doesn't mean status. If those things come or they're required to make a bigger impact, then even if it makes me uncomfortable or, or it's not for me, I'll do that. But it's really just about impact for me. It's a, it's a huge transition and a huge shift. And it probably came out of going through some hard times and doing a lot of work on, on healing and on the self. And that's on a physical basis as well. I mean, having had a, an, an almost life threatening illness or not even illness, it was, <laughs> what happened there? So I had a, a wild three months in 2017. So just before I quit nine to five, um, I had a 12 year relationship that naturally came to an end. It was the right thing to happen, but it was an unwinding of the old me in every way. So the relationship was one part. The 12 year career was unwinding. My grandma, who's my favorite person in the world and really connected to my why, um, she got sick and passed away. And uh, I had to fly out to Holland and spend six days with my family. And, you know, slowly um, her kidney failure took hold and she passed away. We went through that. And then just when I thought we were done, one night I get huge pains in my abdomen and my appendix um, has ruptured and it's gangrene somehow and it gives me sepsis. And um, I was operated on pretty much immediately. I lost something like 30 pounds in a week. I had to stay in the hospital, 24-hour injections, and just a total low physically, emotionally, spiritually on all level. Universe kicked my ass and said, look, I've been telling you your purpose since 2012. You haven't listened to me. Here's what you get. Are you going to listen now or do you want more? So what did you do? Um, cried, suffered. <laughs> <laughs> tried to, why is this happening to me? You kind of go through all of that. But I think on some level, I knew in my core that, you know, this is what I need to do. I needed everything in my life that was holding me down to be cleared. So even my grandma, I'd visit five times a year. That was an anchor in some ways. And she gracefully passed at the time when it was time for me to spread my wings and, and fly. Um, and I'd be forever grateful for that timing and for everything that happened. It was, it was time for me to go. I had to kind of step into that rather than try and resist it, I think. So the cage door opened and you flew and you literally flew to Dubai. That's how it, it happened, huh? Yeah, I was, I was on my hospital bed and a lot of my friends came and they were like the A-team, like Steph Project Glow came, gave me some air diffuser with essential oils, one of those grounding blankets to sleep in in the hospital bed to heal my body because I wasn't going to make that flight and it was booked. And somehow I got on that, that Emirates flight and I was so exhausted. I think I cried on the way there. Something, something happened. Um, when I left hospital, I first got home, I had tears. And when I got on that flight to Dubai, there was like a watershed moment. And I'd been somebody who'd never cried, you know, my wow. whole life. And that moment opened something up in me. And I knew I'm now living the life that has been waiting for me all this time. And it just touched me at some level. That's fantastic. So 
I mean, it's just such a great story in terms of, I mean, this is your life. This is not a story. This is what you've actually gone through to get to the point now where you're ready to make an impact and live the life of your dreams, which is such a great thing. And what, why did you have such a desire to, to show that this was possible? I think I wanted to show that to myself, firstly. Um, um, a book I'm reading at the moment, Healing the Shame That Binds You, it talks about how we all develop toxic shame. Um, and again, this is something I didn't know about. We, we didn't talk about that stuff in my house, even though we're you know, quite open as a family. Um, so there was that sense of not being enough on some level. And I wanted to prove to myself that I was good enough to do something in the world and to, to make an impact. And I wanted to prove that to all of the people I'd met who came from backgrounds where they didn't have opportunities. I wanted to prove it to all of my colleagues in nine to five that were existing every day rather than living a life that was possible for them. And I wanted to make my mum and dad proud. I think that living versus existing pieces is a really important one. And I think you're really proving that there is a marked difference between the two. How would you explain to people the difference in how you're living your life right now to how it was before? I think existing, I mean, George Carlin, I think it is, has that quote about, you know, you wake up, you sit in traffic, you pee quickly, you go to a job you hate to make money, to pay for things you can't afford, to impress people you don't like. To me, that's just one of the greatest expressions of what that existing is. You're dead inside. You go through that routine um, where you're looking for the dopamine hit. It's entertainment. Maybe it's gambling on the phone, on the, on the soccer. Um, they, they, it comes out in various different ways, but you are living for that adrenaline because mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day is so impotent is probably the word that I would use. There's no life. There's no aliveness. You see in people's eyes that they're dead behind the eyes. You can just see it. And when, when I moved into living a life that was truer to myself, even if I didn't know financially how it would work or I was worse off in the beginning, I was alive. I, I felt life coursing through my veins for the first time. And I realized this is what I've been waiting for all of that time. Absolutely. And when we were speaking last week, just sort of talking through what we'd like to cover on this call, I think that for me, seeing you living remotely, working remotely, choosing to take control of everything you're doing and, and understanding that you have that power has been, is, is so liberating and it, it challenges for me, it challenges a lot of a lot of things that, that I do and um, will be thinking of how I can mix it up. And I think the value that you're offering and your the passion you're showing is 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 incredible. But it's all about freedom, essentially. It all comes back to that one point. So it for does. you, what does freedom mean and, and why does it why is it so important for you to advocate this? I think firstly, freedom doesn't necessarily mean living the life that I'm living. I live this because it, it's my interpretation of freedom. Um, it's not a better life than living in a house, having a mortgage, if that's the thing that, that lights you up. Um, it's certainly not perfect. It has its benefits and drawbacks. So I have a responsibility to make that clear. It's not all the kind of the Hollywood Instagram perspective that probably I even make it seem like at times. I think freedom for me, it comes down to three things. It's time freedom, financial freedom, and location freedom. Um, 
if I want to write a book today, I want to be able to write a book today. If I want to be in Romania for three months while COVID happens, I want to be able to do that. And I don't want to have to do something for money. And I'd love to be able to give back and contribute to things and shape the world in the way that's important to me using money. Money's a tool for me. Um, am I there yet? Am I doing those things? Not entirely. I, I do still work for money on some level. I do still have clients that I have to serve, but I'm still moving towards that. And I think that's an important message. We don't have to just say, this is my why and I'm living it fully. It's, it's a bit of a dance. It's a slow thing that we just take, you know, day by day and step by step. And I know that you've, you've spoken to some big people in, in the personal development space, such as Martini, and you, you, I know that you talked to him about your big idea. And what did he say to you? <laughs> so after the three months of hell happened, um, I had New Year's Eve in Amsterdam with my family in Holland, excuse me, uh, flew from Amsterdam to Houston. And I was really tired and I spent three days with Dr. Martini, And it was about answering 2000 questions about your life. And I remember he was sitting at the front and I plucked up the courage to go and talk to someone who was, you know, my hero. I'd spent three days with him in London in the breakthrough experience, but hadn't really had me one-to-one. And I told him my idea for, for my, my institute and my academy, which teaches entrepreneurship. And that's my life mission. And his response was, it's a good idea if you don't want to make any money. <laughs> and at that point, I think my, because of what I'd been through, my self-esteem was lower and I'd put him on a pedestal as my hero. And I thought, well, he must know more than me. He talks to a lot of people. He's a multimillionaire. He gives people advice. Um, what I later realized that we were talking about this before is because I put myself below him, I didn't really unfold the entire plan or the context because I felt like, oh, I don't want to waste his time. He's important and I'm not. And, you know, it's tough to, to admit that. But I think it's an important message because we can take those comments from other people and, and use that to shape our life. But we don't always give them all that information. They don't always know what we know. Sometimes we have to just trust that voice and trust this is my path and I am going to walk it. So you put it on ice at the time thinking and because you hadn't given him the whole context and he'd, he'd given you an answer based on the information that you gave. And I think that's a really, a really important point is that if you're going to share something that's really important to you with someone else, you have to either give them all of the information to help you with your making your decision making or trust with yourself that you know what you're doing and, and go for it. But don't take someone else's flippant response as being the be all and end all and, and put something on hold if it's really your passion. Definitely. The other person never has the full context. They don't have all the information. They haven't done that work. All of those intricacies and synapses that connect together in your brain. Yeah. They can't see that. Um, and for, you know, for me, I think a lot of people who are those type of personalities where they're creators it's so big, even we can't see it clearly. So how could we ever express that to somebody else, you know? Absolutely. So it's going to go live. You're going to get this off the ground now. Yeah. So freethewageslave.com. The blog is already there. Uh, the podcast, we're up to about 25 episodes. I think we started six weeks ago. So we, we're going pretty hard at it. And we're talking to people who did quit nine to five and are now living on their terms in whatever way that means. Um, the next phase is an online academy. So we're working to get that built out completely free um, translation in multi-languages to bring 
this knowledge to people around the world that need it. It can, it can change lives. And I just really want to make an impact with that. That's amazing. And, and I can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure and it's with so many insights. And I know that there'll be a lot of takeaways for the audience to, to sort of think about what they're doing. Is it right for them? But also just challenging the, the sort of nine to five scenario and, and whether they had a dream and they've put it on ice, there definitely will be some action taken, I'm sure, from listening to this podcast. So thank you for that. Thank you. My pleasure. I want you to leave us with a, a, a particular thought or, or a message for the audience and, and uh, something that will drive some cause of action potentially. Yeah, I think we're in a strange time in the world at the moment. Um, the type of opportunities and work that I'm talking about are actually at the forefront of our minds now. Our remote work is suddenly in the headlines thanks to, to COVID. I think the thing that stops us is knowing what our why is or what am I going to do if, even if I do want to work remote. And I just want the message to be, if you don't know your why, there's nothing wrong with you. It's okay not to know what your why is. You can actually be happy and fulfilled even if you never find your purpose. I do believe that. Um, I think for me, it's, it's about walk towards your curiosities. As Mark Manson says, what makes you forget to eat and poop? <laughs> Those things, there's something in that that, you know, you get into a flow state, you create excellence with ease. What are those things? Go and find them. Go and do the values test from Dr. Martini. Maybe take a look at wealth dynamics. Start learning who you are. And really, it just comes down to what lights you up. It doesn't have to be one thing. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need a purpose. Go out there and just start exploring. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.